Welcome to the gathering. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to invite you to meet me in Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. Hebrews is in the New Testament, right there towards the end of the physical Bible. And then, of course, um, you can follow along uh, on the app, or if you have something else on your phone, you can do that as well. Hebrews chapter 12, as we continue on in our vision conversation, right, we're talking about who we are and what we're doing here in Davis as a church family. This is part two of a three-part conversation. Last week we were in Hebrews chapter 11, which is a very long chapter. It's all these names. It's telling uh, the story of the Old Testament, the people leading up to Jesus, these great what are sometimes called heroes of the faith. So that's the backdrop for verse 1 of chapter 12, which starts with, therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and this is again in reference to all those big names that were just talked about in the previous chapter. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come into the gathering this morning um, with all sorts of things going on. Maybe we're excited about football. Maybe we have uh, other concerns, doubts, fears, pain that we bring into a moment like this. So God, we ask that you would hold all of that for us. Everything that we bring into this space this morning so that we can be fully present here tuned to your voice, what you want to say to us today. Would our hearts be receptive to that, God? Help us to find this posture of receiving and then give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paris, in 1913 was the center of Western culture. Anyone who was creative, artists from all spectrums, whether you're a painter or an engineer, you would flock to Paris at this time to soak up the atmosphere of creativity, all the thoughts and the ideas that were sort of floating around in the air at that moment. It was the front line of culture, but it was also the front line of a percolating culture war. One that is probably actually pretty familiar to us. On one side was a conservative or modern voice calling people back to classical enlightenment thinking, arguing for the merits of order, for the head over the heart. On the other side was this more progressive postmodern voice calling people to a romantic worldview, arguing for the merits of no restraint. Let's throw off all the old stuff, burn it to the ground, and start over again, right? For the heart over the head. Nothing like today, of course. 
1913 Paris was the sort of slow burn, these two different views of the world starting to bump into each other. And it was in this moment that a match was kind of thrown on that. And the match that lit the fire in Paris was a ballet. A ballet. Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring debuted that year. In Paris, it's atonal, boundary-pushing score. It's sexually provocative choreography. It's so deeply divided the first crowds that fights literally broke out in the audience as the ballet was happening. This makes me much more intrigued about the ballet. Right? People did not know what to do with this. It divided this audience. And again, it was the match that sort of lit the spark as these two different competing worldviews were bumping into each other. Paris was in a transition moment. A transition moment. And the visions that tend to compete in these moments of big change are, are pretty much what we see in Paris and in our, in our modern day as well. They often boil down to like the traditional view. Hey, we've always done things this way. Let's just keep on doing it. And then the sort of anti-traditional. Like whatever came before, we were going to stop doing that. Again, let's burn the whole thing to the ground and start over again. These visions can be very compelling and hold a lot of gravity for people, but ultimately are short-sighted. Are short-sighted, and they're also the opposite sides of the same coin. And what is called for in transition moments is not choosing one side or the other, but oftentimes is, is uh, this invitation for new possibilities. For Imagination over information. For good questions over the right answers. Imagination over information. We're going to explore this a bit more today. Just a quick reminder of where we were last week. We looked at how there's this pattern of transitions that happens about every 500 years and how those shifts put tremendous pressure on the church, which uh, on the surface of things can be quite scary, but again, can offer us this invitation to imagine a new future. And so using the imagery of Hebrews 11, we ask the question for us here, in country, will, will, we, will we be the kind of church that, that just continues to do things the way that everyone has been doing them? Will, will we be the kind of church that it's like burn everything down and start over? Or will we use our holy imaginations to join Jesus in the new thing that he is doing? We believe wholeheartedly that God has called us to go to this new country in order to reach spiritual explorers. Those who are spiritually exploring the new country. It's even, I think, baked into our name, right? Discovery. This is who we are called to be. And what is sometimes called a, a post-Christian world or a post-church world, this call to go into the new country, it's not about being novel for the sake of being novel. It's, again, responding to this call in order to reach people who are already there. The world is changing. It has changed. People are already in this place. The question is, will we go where they are? Believing that this good news that we know, this good news about Jesus is still good news even as the world continues to change. We might call this the, the missional 
approach, not the consumer approach or view of church. Now again, just the last piece from, from last week before we jump into uh, today's conversation, to explore the new country, right, to discover how can we share this good news with, with people who are here, we, we're going to need some tools, right? And so we talked about how we need new language, new metrics, and new stories. New language, new metrics, and new stories. And I think underneath all of that, we need a holy imagination. Not just more information, but a holy imagination to collectively dream and envision the future together. So, how do we do this? How do you foster a holy imagination for this new country mission that God has called us to? I think there's some things that we see in this text today in Hebrews chapter 12 that that can help us in this practice. Our holy imaginations are formed by the great cloud of witnesses that we have been given. Our holy imaginations are formed by the great cloud of witnesses. Now, lots of levels to this. The first one is, again, go back and read Hebrews 11. We only got to scratch the surface of that chapter last week. If you have never read all the way through it, it's a pretty remarkable uh, chapter. It's actually one of the more uh, challenging for me personally. There's a phrase that's repeated a couple of times about these people who, who were invited by God into this new thing, but they never actually got to see the, the fullness of it. And, and what the author is talking about there is they never got to see Jesus. All these Old Testament big names never got to see Jesus, but they still went. They still trusted. They still lived by faith. Right? The Old Testament, full of amazing stories that help us Live by faith and follow God into the unknown. Also the New Testament though, right? Even those who saw Jesus, Paul, Peter, Priscilla, Aquila, all all these different people that we see in the New Testament help us to see what it looks like to live the with God life. A life of faith and risk. This is one of the, the gifts of Scripture. But in addition to that, we also have 2,000 years of church history. So we have Old Testament cloud of witness, New Testament cloud of witnesses. I mean, again, there's just so many amazing, fascinating people. When you read their stories, it just like, makes you, it just, wow, the possibilities. We have modern heroes. People who have been wrestling with these new country questions. People like John Perkins and Rachel Held Evans and our own friends from uh, Montevideo, Uruguay, David and Claudia Osa. Then maybe, maybe most importantly, we have our local heroes. Look around this room. Okay? Great cloud of witnesses. You are not alone. You are not alone in this adventure, in this mission to go to the new country. We have a great cloud of witnesses to journey with. So our holy imaginations are formed... By community, by people, by these stories. Our holy imaginations are also formed by keeping her eyes fixed on Jesus. I said this last Sunday, I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again. The new country is not about, this calling to go into the new thing that God is doing is not about being clever or relevant or cool so that our church grows. This is not a church growth model or program or technique. In fact, if anything, it might actually hurt church growth. 
It's not about that. It's about our eyes being fixed on Jesus, about joining Jesus, who's, again, described in this text as a pioneer, the one who's out in front of us, joining him in what he is doing in the world and helping other people to see, man, what Jesus is up to is actually good news. It's not just some good news, it's the best news possible for humanity. Now, this is not easy. This is hard work. Jesus, again, using his example here, Jesus faced opposition, endured the cross, suffered, and died. And he did it because of joy. Right? He did it because of the joy of, of accomplishing his mission. But it was hard. People will think that we are crazy. People will say, um, you're not doing it right. That's not how other churches do it. And whenever, whenever someone says that, I'm like, I know. That's like the whole point. But we go because our eyes, again, are, are fixed on Jesus, not on what other people are doing. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus, who is calling us into something new. Third, to cultivate a holy imagination, we must throw off entanglements. The, the one that's most specifically named here is the entanglement of sin. And this is important to say because I have seen over the last 20 years a lot of people get really excited about, wow, the church is changing, the world is changing, here's a new idea, here's a new model, here's a new thing that we're going to start. And those things have been really beautiful and good and they have totally gotten torpedoed by uh, poor decisions, by abusive leadership, by sin. And so it's, you know, I think it's a little phrase in there that we can maybe skip by, but it, needs, it just needs to be said, nothing can undermine our mission faster. There's a lot of different ways of talking about that and unpacking that, but I just want to be very clear about that. But I also want to say that there are other entanglements as well. There are other entanglements as well. Again, this, this comes back to some of the things that we talked about last Sunday, but worth saying again, there is some unlearning that we will need to do. I think sometimes the entanglements are actually really good things that worked in previous contexts, that worked in the old country, that we're hanging on to, but can actually be impediments to other people experiencing the good news of Jesus. So some of the entanglements we have to throw off as we unlearn language, old strategies, practices, even some, some theologies that, again, worked in the old country but don't necessarily work in the new. Now, one way that, that we talk about this here, we, we think of our mission through the imagery of bridge building. We want to be bridge builders. People who are able to remove those barriers so that, so that others can experience the good news of Jesus. And so this can look like a lot of different things. We talk about bridging racial and ethnic barriers. We talk about bridging generational divisions. Here in Davis, we talk about bridging the, the, the student-townie division. It's a real thing. We, I think, ultimately want to build bridges between 
again, new country spiritual explorers. Right? People who are already living in this changed world, this new world, and are wondering, are wondering if the good news of Jesus has anything to say about this world. Uh, there's a study that just came out this week that, that um, shows that, that Gen Z and whatever comes after Gen Z, I don't even know what that is, the most uh, spiritually open generation that people have seen in decades. What's interesting is they, they are really not interested in church, but very spiritually open. What can we do to remove the barriers to build those bridges so that people can make those connections and see, oh yeah, Jesus is good news. To help build those bridges, we've made some intentional trade-offs. I'm just going to name them very quickly. Um, these are uh, some of the things that our deacons will go through today in Discover Discovery. So if you want to know more about this, come <coughs> join us at 1 o'clock and they'll, they'll dig into this a little bit more. But this is, I think these are just important things for us to continue to name. When it comes to strategy, we emphasize people over programs. Now, as we go through each one of these things, it's not that programs are bad or, or like, ooh, bad, evil. It's just, this is about what we emphasize, right? Where, where we focus our time and energy, again, to build bridges. When it comes to strategy, people over programs. When it comes to metrics, we emphasize quality over quantity. And I once again want to invite you, if you have not had a chance to do so yet, to take the survey. And that survey is not about, like, us tracking you. It's not about, like, uh, again, customer satisfaction. This really is a way for you to participate in our mission. To help us get a picture of what has God done over the last year and, and, and where might we be going next. Okay, super, super helpful. When it comes to theology, we emphasize story over system. When it comes to discipleship, journey over destination. When it comes to formation, wholeness over knowledge. And when it comes to mission, and this should be pretty clear by now, we emphasize the unknown over the familiar. Now, these are, are, are the kinds of things that sound really good. You can put them on the web page and everyone goes, oh, yeah, great. But then when it comes to reality, right, these are, uh, uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. And where we have to do the, the hard work and use our holy imagination to not just default to things that we know and move into the new thing that God is doing. Last thing from Hebrews 12, a holy imagination requires that we run our race with perseverance. I'm going to mix some metaphors here, all right, so just roll with me. I think there's a, the, the part of Hebrews 11 that is always deeply convicting to me is how all these people trusted God, followed God, were faithful to what God asked them to do, even though they didn't get to see it. And as a good American, I want to know that what I'm doing matters and it works and it makes a difference. Now, will we, will we trust God that this is a long race? And that there are things that we do, that we invest in, that we give our time and energy to now that we may not see the fruit of this year, next year, 10 years, 20 years. It may be way farther down the road. But we do them anyway, not because they get quick results, but because they're what God has asked us to do. Are you with me? 
So it's a long race. Second implication here is that it is our race. Not someone else's race. This is not about what other people or churches are doing or not doing. It's about, once again, being faithful to what God has asked us to do. Now, the obvious question here should be, okay, so what has God asked us to do? Well, that's a big question, and there's a lot of different answers to that. I want to name three things, though, that are three, again, to mix our metaphors, three races that we are running as part of this new country adventure. And these are our three things that, again, are not just nice ideas. I mean, this is the, the meat of our year this year. First is this, discovery. We are called in 2023 to use our holy imaginations to invest in our neighborhoods. I wholeheartedly believe that what lies ahead for the church, not just discovery, but like the capital C church, is not disembodied content dissemination, but localized incarnational ministry. Now that's a lot of big words. <laughs> what I mean by that is this. The more digital our world becomes, the more rooted in reality we will need to be. And it doesn't get any more real than where you live, where you work, and where you play. So much of what is, is, is offered in, in the church these days is kind of generic information that you could get anywhere. And while some of that information is really good, I think what we need to lean into big time is the people who are actually with us, who are in our neighborhoods, who we see on a regular basis who know us and who we can be open and known with. And that's, you know, a scary and intimidating thing. It's a lot easier to hide behind a screen, but I really believe that this is a huge part of what the church is called to do, is to be real (laughs) and to be in each other's real, actual lives. The new project that we've been working on here about five months into it, it's called Neighborhood Communities. And it's gone really well so far. We have six of them right now. And uh, as, as, as good as that's gone, I, I think we're just scratching the surface. So let's use our holy imaginations. Let's embrace our neighborhood communities as our primary place of formation. Our primary place of formation. Again, that's not just a toss-out phrase. I really mean this. Sunday morning is, is good and important and beautiful. It's where we come together to gather and see the larger picture of what God is doing. But our primary place of formation is in relationships with, with people. It's in our neighborhood. You go ask the, you're like, what the heck is a neighborhood community? That's a great question to go ask the connection folks out there. And they also will have a little card at the table that you can fill out. Um, and tomorrow morning, someone will be in touch with you about what's going on in your neighborhood, whether that be in Davis, if you're an undergrad, um, we have something for you as well. And if you are um, it, it, sort of west of town, there's a, a, a really great group forming in the Solano. We're calling it the Solano Neighborhood Community, which is, that's big, obviously. Um, but I think that's kind of cool to see how that's been unfolding as well. Again, it can be intimidating to show up in someone's home and, and start talking about this stuff. But I would challenge you, if you're not currently connected to a neighborhood community, get involved. Get involved. 
Second, discovery, we are called in 2023 to use our holy imaginations to invest in young leaders. We're about halfway through uh, our first year of our internship program. And a couple of them right here. Um, Joshua is over there. There he is. All right. Our interns, there they are, looking good on the screen, um, have been doing a fantastic job. So some things that they've been up to this year, they've been running a, a, uh, uh, what we're calling the living room, but basically it's a neighborhood community for undergrads every Tuesday night. If you're here and you want, you're an undergrad, you want to be involved in that, talk to one of them. They'd love to tell you more about that. Um, they've also been serving the, the larger church community in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and they're also, uh, you know, learning all sorts of things. A lot of those things, though, are from you. As many of you have invested some time into them, sharing things that are on your heart that you are passionate with. And that's been a beautiful part of the journey as well. This program, though, is, is the present and the future. The New Country Church, and again, I'm not just talking about Discovery here, but, but the Capital C Church is going to be shaped by these amazing young leaders who will go on uh, uh, to uh, work at churches, plant churches, start ministries, volunteer, give their lives away to help build the kingdom of God wherever God has them. Hopefully some of them stay, but God will call them other places as well. And, and I think, again, this is a huge part of what, uh, what we are called to do and, and, and part of our invitation as a church in this place is, I mean, I hope that we have a deep impact on Davis. And I really believe that will happen through our neighborhood communities. But I also think that we have an, we have a, we've been strategically placed here to have a larger impact through sending out young leaders who will help build the future of the church. Now, speaking of young people who will build the future of the church, Last thing is, we're called in 2023 to use our holy imaginations to invest in our kids. And we, we relaunched Discovery Kids last January with our team, Lisa, Jennifer, Danielle, Alex, and Gabby. They've been doing just a fantastic job, uh, re not just running a program, but rethinking ministry to kids. And, and I want to be really, again, I just want to say that again, they... They are not just running a program. They are rethinking ministry to kids. And it's been beautiful to see them uh, sit with some of these things, wrestle through some big questions, and then dream together about what that could look like. There's, again, a lot of things I could say about what that looks like. But one thing I want to name here is that there's this tension, I think, in, in children's ministry between creating a space where the kids can be together and get to know each other and have fun but then also not becoming so disconnected from the rest of the church family, right? Not getting kind of siloed away into the choir room behind those red doors. And so we've made some, some decisions about how we do that, right? About having our kids in the gathering for certain parts of it and once a month having family worship. That's not about we don't have enough people or volunteers. That's a strategic decision to help our kids feel like they are part of this larger church family. Now, uh, we could use more volunteers. <laughs> and so if you are interested in helping with kids, uh, again, it's not, just, um, it's not just, you know, making Play-Doh animals. Uh, the, the true new country leaders of the church are not me. 
It's those kids over there in that room. And so I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to think about investing in our kids. Even if you're not a parent, that's fine. You can still have a tremendous impact on the future by spending time with our kids. Now, speaking of that, we, you know, each week in this conversation, we're, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from different people, uh, share part of their story. And, and this is, I think, a big part of, uh, of fueling our holy imaginations, right? As we hear each other's stories and, and kind of have these moments of like, oh, that graciously offer to tell. This week, we get to hear from Lisa, who, again, is a part of our kids' team. She's graciously offered to tell a bit of her story. So let's take a look at the screen. I spent some time in a community or old country that was full of love, joy, and energy, but the information or the language of that community led to an interpretation of God and myself that left me feeling stuck and confused and I didn't feel free. So I joined a new community that emphasized contemplation and community life and through guides and incorporating some new language and practices for my relationship with God, I'm uncovering a depth of experience with the spirit that is free, consoling, challenging, but, um, but never scary or judgmental. This journey has taught me that there are so many ways to experience the spirit's communication to us, walking in nature, holding my child, the feelings that I get from stories or music, truth resonating in my mind through scripture and books, um, participating in service to others or offering hospitality. Everything belongs. Um, it's all prayer or communication between God and us. Um, and this is good news. It is good news for me and I want to extend that to the world. Last year in a sermon, Steve said, if someone is missing, something is missing. And I said, yes, I'm in. And that point has stuck in my spirit ever since. This is the language I want to communicate along with the church. My current life station has me walking alongside my six-year-old and other families trying to do our best to share this news with our kids in a way that's inviting and simple. Um, how do we share Jesus with them? What do we even want them to know about God and why? <laughs> I've gotten to spend the last year and a half with other Discovery families as we shared stories of our hopes and dreams for our kids and worked on, we worked on these questions together and through beautiful and open sharing, we've uncovered a language of inviting kids to this good news. We do this through story, ritual, and relationship. Stories of God's life in scripture, experiential rituals of creativity and movement to bring meaning to the stories, and maybe most importantly, the experience of relationships between each other and the grown-ups in our community. 
through our love and who we are, um, we show them this good news. For my child and for Discovery Kids is that they know that they're deeply loved. Outside of the things that they do, the choices they make, the way they feel, that they're held in an enduring love. I see this happening through inviting them into the life of the church, yet letting them be themselves. It seems simple, letting them play and have fun together while we hold conversations and have meals at neighborhood community, paying attention to them and listening to them with loving curiosity, and then creating a safe place to play with and learn to listen to the story of Jesus, which is a message of love. Ooh, I get like fired up a little bit when I talk about that. <laughs> I feel my heartbeat. Lisa did a great job there, and if you get a chance to, I don't, she's not here today, but if you get a chance to see her in the next week or two, give her a high five and say well done, and I think she does just a, a great job of sort of capturing the spirits behind our investments in kids. Now the year, back to where we started, the year after the Russian ballet performed the Rite of Spring in Paris, World War I breaks out and ravages Europe for five years. The chaos of the war left a deep scar on the psyche of Europeans just across the board, but certainly on those who had created the Rite of, Sp of Spring. Igor Stravinsky in particular, the, the composer who had been so captured by his sort of anti-tradition vision for the future, had his worldview crushed by the war, and in particular by the loss of his wife and daughter. He ultimately, though, found peace by reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of the life of Jesus. And at the end of his life, he composed works that were based solely on the Psalms. One of those uh, Stravinsky uh, psalm-based symphonies inspired a composer named Dmitry Shostakovich. Dmitry lived in St. Petersburg or Leningrad, in Russia during the brutal years of Stalin's reign. And on September 8th, 1941, as many of you know, the Nazis surrounded Leningrad and began one of history's worst sieges of a city. 900 days, St. Petersburg was cut off from the rest of the world. And so in that place, Dmitry Shoskatovich begins writing this symphony, his seventh symphony, based on Igor Stravinsky's reflections on the Psalms. So here's this composer, caught between these, these uh, horrible dictators uh, starving to death. By the way, a million and a half people in the city died during this time, again, most of them because they didn't have enough food. He composes this, this, this symphony, and then it debuts right in the middle of the war, right in the middle of the siege. His orchestra is barely able to play the whole thing because they're so exhausted. Bombs are going off. But this work 
stirs the hearts and imaginations of his community. Mark Sayers, reflecting on this, writes, The rite of spring performed in Paris, a city of vibrancy and beauty, had proclaimed destruction and death. Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony, written and performed in a city of destruction and death, proclaimed resurrection and life. The rite of spring was art as life. The Seventh Symphony was art that brought life. Art that, as Lisa talked about, right, that brings life. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. In our neighborhoods, in our young leaders, in our kids, in each and every one of us, love that brings life. And so in the, uh, the rubble of whatever our, our moment is, the great emergence, the digital age, whatever we want to call it, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we trust that he will grow our holy imaginations for what could be for what could be here in the new country, believing that it will be good news. Good news for us as our faith grows, as we see God do amazing things in us and around us, but also good news for others, right? Good news for people who are desperate to know the love of God. As we come to the communion table, I, I want to... Um, encourage you to just spend a few minutes thinking about some of the things that we've been talking about today, the things that we've been talking about this last week, our, our, our vision to build bridges, to remove the barriers so that new country spiritual explorers can experience the good news of Jesus. How can you participate in this? Do you, do you need to get involved in a neighborhood community? Can you be a part of investing in young leaders or investing in our kids? Maybe you just need to remember your own self, the good news of Jesus, what he has done for you. And so as you come to the table and you take the bread and the juice, representing the body and blood of Christ, receive, receive the good news. Remember and celebrate with us what Jesus has done for us. As we sing these last songs, let's take communion together. <laughs>